Welcome to Halfway There, my friends. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. We try to get at what is it really like? We get past all the shoulds and all the things that you ought to do. And we talk about what is it really like to walk with the Lord in the 21st century. And today I'm excited to bring to you this conversation um, with uh, a friend that I've recently met and reconnected with. And uh, he has a story that I think is going to encourage you. And, uh, you know, his message is really one of how to find hope in the midst of suffering. It's something we all go through at various levels, and I know it'll it'll really um, encourage you in your walk. So please welcome to Halfway There, Jim Barnard. Jim, hey. welcome to Halfway There. Right on. Hey, thanks, Eric. It's really exciting to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here, too. Um, it is, you have quite the story, and I can't wait to dig into a little bit. Why don't you start off and just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we'll go back and kind of dig through your story and see how God brought you here. Right on, right on. Well, um, first of all, I am a pastor. I'm the campus pastor at LifeGate Church here in Denver, Colorado, and uh, it, it's such a great church. We've got um, it's a mobile situation, so we meet at Cherry Creek High School. It's a it's a high school right in like the the heart of what's called the Tech Center, and uh, so we we meet at a high school, and so we set up and we tear down every week, and uh, we're a, a quickly growing church, and and that's really fun. I'm privileged to um, serve there, um, but I'm not a, a native to Colorado. I moved here about seven years ago from St. Louis, and I'm originally from Wisconsin, so I'm pretty divided in my sports allegiances. <laughs> so uh, I'm a Packers fan and then a Cardinals fan. And that's like, those, those are two big identifiers for me. Yeah. So this week the Cardinals and Brewers are playing. Does this give you conf- conflict, like inner, inner turmoil? Yeah, no, not so much. Good. I grew up a Brewers fan, but no one's really a Brewers fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brewers fans just like to tailgate and drink and that's right. not necessarily my scene. So um, Cardinals all the all the way because it's Milwaukee. <laughs> Although honestly, you know the Cardinals were owned by the Bush family for a long time, so I guess we don't have a lot of room to talk on that. Yeah, that's front. right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so a little bit more about me. So I uh, when I moved here from St. Louis to Colorado, I moved here to go to Denver Seminary, and uh, I know you are very familiar with with oh, Den yeah. Sem, and uh, I got a Master's of Leadership degree there, and uh, really had a great experience experience, uh, going through just the, um, the different mentoring and the different leadership, uh, classes that they had there. So, yeah. um, so that's just really quick, generically a little bit about me. Yeah, that's great. What's it like? Um, it, maybe some people can identify with us, but I've never really been a part of a mobile church or a church planting kind of situation. What's that like having to tear down and tear up or set up and all that? Yeah. You know, honestly, I had never been a part of a mobile church before. It is a a totally different world. We, uh, we have a lot of people that, um, sacrifice a lot of time to help make this happen every week. Uh, we get there at about, uh, 6.45 every morning and we set up for about three hours. And then once the service is done, we tear down for about an hour and a half, two hours. And, uh, we probably have like every given weekend, like 25, 30 people that help us which is just a trip, man, because, you know, these people I I find to be a little bit absurd in their desire to (laughs) just be a part of what the church is doing. And I love that. We've got such a tight-knit community because of the fact that we're mobile. So it's kind of cool that way. Yeah, well, that's what I was wondering. If the community is, you have a common mission, a common goal. So I was wondering if that kind of 
helps draw people in and, and have a stickiness factor to it. Yeah, no, it totally does. And, you know, ironically, three weeks before Christmas, the Grinch came and stole our truck and trailer. <laughs> yeah. And so all the stuff that we used to do, you know, quote unquote church with was gone. I had the uh, communion supplies in the back of my car, thankfully. So we're still able to do the, the best part of church. Uh, but, you know, people really rallied together at that time. So I'm just proud of this LifeGate community that we have. And um, we've gotten most of our stuff back and we're rocking and rolling. Um, but, you know, this, this stuff's just stuff, right? You know, we spend a lot of effort setting it up and tearing it down. But what you need is just, you know, um, the Holy Spirit to arrive every week, which he does, um, which is not surprising. And, uh, you know, when, when we gather, just things happen, man. So it's cool. Yeah, I love that. There's a way that when you don't have to worry about your space or your building, you can worry more about what the Lord is wanting to do in that particular service and uh, engagement. So that's cool. All right. Well, that's yeah. that's really awesome. I'm sure we could talk forever about, about that <laughs> yeah. situation, but that is uh, only part of what I want to talk to you about. So tell us, you said you mentioned you grew up in St. Louis. Um, tell us a little bit about your growing up years and how you came to Christ. So when I was about 10 years old, I was going to a Southern Baptist church and I clearly, I remember this so clearly. I remember having the pastor give a, a sermon about, about hell and how terrible hell is, how you want to do everything you can to avoid that. So choose Jesus because that's your pathway to, to heaven. And so in my in my you know little 10-year-old mind, I was like, oh my goodness, I need Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. So I came forward and, uh, and, you know, was like, Hey, I, I'm, I'm scared that I'm going to go to hell. Can, can you help me find heaven? Can you help me meet Jesus? And, you know, we did the, the sinner's prayer and, and that was, you know, pretty, that was pretty neat. Like it was a special moment, but to be honest, I didn't really get it. It was all, you know, based out of fear. And, you know, for me to, you know, I'll, I'll just share this. It, it's raw and real within that next week of, um, of kind of getting saved and making that decision for, for Christ. Um, my, everything in my family fell apart. My, my parents had a major blowout fight because of some stuff that was happening in their relationship. And, um, my, my dad, um, left and he went out to Virginia and I was, uh, kind of left there kind of holding the bag and we stopped going to church, which I was like, Eric, maybe you can relate with this. But, um, I, I was like, Oh my gosh! I, like I, I met Jesus. We were going to church. Now we're not going to church. I, I haven't been baptized. Does this even count? You know? Mm, yeah. And so um, it wasn't until several years later that I, I really met Jesus in like the 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 real tangible way, where it's not like just you know av- avoid what's what's bad, so choose good. It was a uh, I want Christ because like He loves me and. Um, he wants to transform me. And I, I experienced a lot of transformation when I met Christ for like the real first time when I was about 15 or 16. And yeah. um, I had spent the summers out with with my dad in Virginia. And he um, he insisted that I go to church with him. And I was like, OK, that's great. But <clears throat> it was a matter of like spending time with my youth, youth pastor. My parents divorced. I was like I was I was pretty wrecked by it. I was a uh, kind of a shut down, depressed kid as a response. Cause I had never seen grief before. Yeah. And so when, um, when this youth pastor decided to spend a lot of time with me, it was, it, it was 
you know, because I had value in who Christ was. And so he really did a good work in me to, to share like the real identity of Christ. And when I met him for real, like life changed for me. Well, tell me about that. So what did, what did this youth pastor do? What did he say? Did you have a, like a moment that it dawned on you or was it kind of a over time kind of thing? Take us into that so that we can just get a good sense for it. Yeah, I love that. So, um, so over the course of a summer, he just decided to spend a lot of time with me. We would just, you know, kick it around town. We'd go see movies, we'd hang out and, um, you know, just him being willing to share, you know, that much time with me was, was huge. But the reality was, is that, um, you know, every week that I was spending time with him, I felt like I was like not worthy of, of, you know, anyone wanting to spend time with me. Like I just, I was kind of the sad, depressed kid. And, you know, he was like, no, 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 I'd look, it'd be awesome to hang out. I love hanging out with you. And so it was like this demonstration of, of value that he put in me. And mm-hmm. the last week of the summer, he got his first chance to, to give a sermon in front of the church. And he gave a sermon about like, you know, it, it can be really scary to make that jump for Christ, you know, that you just have to make a decision. Like, um, if you're, if you're on a, on a plane and you got to jump out of it, you got a parachute, you know, stuck to your back, you just at some point have to make that decision to jump. You know that that's, you know, what your purpose is, you know, being in that plane. And so he's like, just, just jump, you know, cause, cause Jesus is there and he, he wants to grab hold of you and he wants to spend time with you and he just, he cares. And I don't know, something about that message, you know, really connected for me. And so when I, when I came forward really broken, he's like, man, <clears throat> I love you. And, you know, my love will never compare to the way that Jesus loves you. And um, over the next few years, I just I think whenever you meet Christ, it, that that's a, that's a great moment. But it still doesn't mean you're necessarily like close to him. You still have a journey of growing closer to him. And so I just went on this process of what does it look like to be a, a better disciple of him? And so I just committed to it and jumped in and, and it, it changed everything for me. Oh yeah. I love that. I love that you had a youth pastor who really invested in you and valued you. And, um, I love what you said about, you know, you're never, you're not there already. That's why this show is called halfway there. You're, you're always kind yeah. of in process, but so many people, I think sometimes we, we look at that and, it could even be tempting to devalue what happened to you when you were 10, but the reality is that's that set the stage, right? For, for knowing Christ at a later point, you don't have to know and understand everything when you're 10. You can't, right? You don't, you don't know and understand everything when you're 80. That's kind of the, kind of the point, yeah. but um, yeah, I love that. So you were growing. So how, how did, uh, you know, how did you keep learning and, and kind of growing in Christ from there? Would you have any, moments that kind of stick out for you when you learn something that God just kind of blew your mind early on? Yeah. You know, what's, what's funny is that I, you know, going back home, uh, staying with my mom, she still wasn't about going to church. She had this kind of unique fear about being a part of a church and, uh, you know, the pressure to tithe was a big thing for her. So she really wasn't like trying to, to take me to church. And so I had to take it upon myself to start getting involved. And so I would start to go to church as much as I could. I got involved in like, uh, FCA. I got involved in, you know, different intervarsity type groups as, you know, um, as high school went along and into college. And it was just about like, 
trying to find those moments where I could connect with other people. I'll be honest, like I would read my Bible all the time, but I don't, maybe I'm just not a good reader, Mm -hmm. but like (laughs) the Bible was, was like exciting to me, but I, I felt like I had so many questions about it that I just needed to go find people that like could help me decipher it. Yeah. And so that's why I just was like, okay, if, if I'm going to grow in my faith, I'm going to need people to help guide me. And so that's just what I did. You know, I was a young, ambitious kid that wanted to learn as much about the Bible as possible. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so true. It's um, we we tell people to read the Bible and pray, but we don't really teach people how to how to read it, right? How do you how yeah. do you understand this, interpret this, and how do you find God in it? That's really really important to me. Absolutely. For so much of my life, you know, not having like someone um, spiritually guide me, you know, my dad being gone a lot and not being able to spend a lot of time with him. And it was, it was really challenging to um, find those people that, that could like spiritually mentor me. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out in your audience that feel that same way of like, well, who, (laughs) you know, who can help me in, in this situation? I love this uh, this parable um, that talks about the parable of the talents, where there was these this master and the three uh, servants who um, were given money, given talents to um, to do the the best that they could with it, while the master went away. And um, two of the people did really well with it, and the third person just had no concept of what to do. And so I've been kind of all my life just trying to be like, okay, I I don't know what to do with what God's given me but I need to find people that know what to do, you know, like how to, how to lead me in that. And so that's why I got, I think naturally attracted to the, the leadership course at, at Denver seminary, because, um, I think those two other people that the two servants that, that knew what to do really could have stepped forward and and taken leadership to say, Hey man, like you need help. I want to help you. And, And I just think that we grow far more when we can be honest and vulnerable with people. And so that's just what I've tried to champion in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So I think in that story, there is a call to people listening to this right now who, so you, you called out those who need to look for a mentor, but I think there's a lot of people who need to be mentors. They've been in the church a long time. They've studied, they've learned they're in the prayer group or they've been in the, in the, in the, you know, small group or whatever, forever with the same people. And my challenge to you guys is step out, step out of your comfort zone and go find somebody who needs to be mentored. You don't have to know all the answers. You just have to be committed to finding the answers and you can do that together. And it's, uh, it, it's so important. It really is the foundation of discipleship is making those connections already in your story. Somebody invested in you and they, they showed you value because, and that has had a dramatic impact on your life. It, it totally has. And I think that's such a great call. I think people uh, tend to opt out of mentoring relationships that, that they could be really good mentors, but they don't do it because of fear. They feel like they don't have all the answers. They don't have much to give. Honestly, I think time's just our, our biggest gift that we can give to people, Yeah, you know, where you just like choose to like listen to someone else. Like there's so much power in that. Um, and Absolutely. so, yeah, I think that's a great encouragement, Eric. I, I love that you're calling that out. We, we try to talk about that at church, but honestly, it just, it, it takes someone being brave to step up to, to say, Hey, like I'd, I'd love to pour into someone. I don't know what I have to offer, but let's do it. 
Right. Well, so again, that's the whole reason for what we're doing here to share those experiences. And all you have to do is share how God spoke to you and you don't have to have this big message. So anyway, I could talk about that forever, um, but I'm going to move on because I want to talk more about you. You ended up then getting into some church leadership before you came out to Denver, if I remember right. When I was in St. Louis, I had been at a church for a long time. I just felt like there was a season of change that I needed to make. And um, I switched over to a new church. Uh, It's called Quest Church. Lovely community, amazing people, just really cannot say enough about about these folks. But when I switched over, I, you know, was immediately drawn to, to this church and to the community. But, um, there was this really pretty gal that was doing, um, announcements up on stage. And, um, my brother, you know, was, was in my ear telling me, you need to start like dating some girls. You need to start dumping some girls. You need to, um, you know, I had been in a season of not really dating for a long time. And so he was, he was trying to play that big brother role really well to say, Hey, you need to, you need to get about this. Cause I'm afraid you're going to be single forever, which I was fine with whatever God had for me. But, um, when I saw her up there, I was immediately drawn to her. And so, um, I decided I was going to quickly ask her out and there was, you know, all kinds of mishaps that happened in that. I'm not a, I'm not a suave kind of person, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I worked my way into, into the conversation and asked her out and it, it went well, but, um, you know, I just started volunteering as much as I could. And that was my way to get to know her. But also I knew that like, if I wanted to build community at, at this church, that, that serving was going to be where, where I was going to do that. And so, um, so just, you know, doing the simple things of like set up and tear down and coffee. And, um, I started doing a lot of like video work and, um, I ended up, you know, so this gal that I was dating, she ended up becoming my wife and, and, um, she was like the coordinator of the, the creative part of the service. And so I would just, I would spend a lot of time like digging into like the creative elements of, of, of the service. And so I loved helping her. It was such a, a joy to help her and to, um, use some of the gifts that I was learning about at the time that, that God had gifted me with. And so I just, I, I ended up investing a lot of time, um, just serving the church in a bunch of, bunch of different ways. Yeah. So you did not take your brother's advice to date a lot of (laughs) girls and dump a lot of girls. You, you went the exact opposite direction. You just dated one. Yeah, that's right. So I, I, I dated her and then we, we had a a small season of a break, but you know, I, I never actually dumped her. Um, (laughs) you know, it, I just needed the courage, I guess. Right. Sure. There you go. Well, it worked. That's good. Yeah, it totally worked. Okay. So you guys are in, you're leading together mm-hmm. and then you get, okay. And then you get married and then what happened? So, and this is the big story. Um, so we knew that Alicia had some, uh, some health problems, but we, they were a little undefined and we, there was no indication that things were going to fall apart. Certainly not like they did, but three months after we got married, uh, Alicia got in exceptionally sick and, uh, she could not keep any food down. It was like her digestive system would get clogged. And, um, when it would get clogged, there'd be no room for anything else to, to go through. And so she would just, you know, I don't want to get too gross for your listeners, but you know, she'd just physically get sick yeah. all the time, you know? And so she'd be spending a lot of time in the bathroom. And, uh, it, I mean, it was just like literally hours a day of, of getting sick, you know? 
And so uh, it, it was pretty devastating. It, at first it was like, oh, you've got the flu, no big deal. But it was like the flu that never went away. And uh, we started seeing doctors in the St. Louis area try to get some understanding. And every doctor was you know, really kind and did their best to listen and try to get to the bottom of it. But uh, finally, this one doctor was like, you know, I, I think you guys would really you – know, like, I think you guys could really use the time up at the Mayo Clinic. Like going to see some like absurd experts who really get, you know, these rare and, and crazy gastric diseases. And so, um, you know, after we got married, it was like th- three months in, like the honeymoon felt like it was, it was over. Um, you know, months four, five, and six were largely spent in Minnesota, which in the winter, they, they shouldn't send <laughs> sick people to Minnesota in the winter, Eric. That's just cruel and unfair. Well, uh, listen, the winters are snowy and cold and the summers are full of mosquitoes. So you don't really ever need to go to Minnesota, but I say that as an <laughs> one. So what can I do? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, of yeah. Course. Anyway. Well, okay. Yeah. So that was, that was cold and it was not, uh, not really the way you wanted to be spending the next, the, those few months of your life. Did, yeah. did they, were they able to help or what did you discover? Yes. Well, so they, they were able to help to a certain degree. Um, they were able to identify the disease. And so Alicia's disease is called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And uh, there's a lot of different types of, of this you know, illness. That's a chronic deal that, that plays out in a, a, diff- a ton of different ways. And the most common type is in the joints. So if you've ever seen anyone that is like a contortionist, they can bend themselves in almost any direction they've got a hypermobility or hyperflexibility in their joints. Um, so that seems like the cool version. Like if you're going to get Ehlers, that's the one to get. Um, Alicia's version seems to be a little bit more contained to the abdomen. So her entire digestive system, her bladder, her uterus, just all, all of those parts have no muscle tone. In fact, there's really nothing it like, um, we had to have surgeries to get like cow tissue and meshing to support all those organs to keep it in place, to keep them from falling and, and failing. And so yeah. she's, she's had just a ton of surgeries, um, since she got sick. Um, but for, for her, it's the, the biggest issue is that her digestive system just has no muscle tone to push food through. And so I, I joke around and she always loves it when I say this, that she is literally half the woman that I met. I mean, she has lost so much weight over the last 11 years. It's uh, it's kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sure that's difficult to, to go through and to watch um, as her husband. It is incredibly painful. I would trade spots with her in an instant. I would, uh, I, I would love to do that because I think that that it's, I think for most people, it's obvious, you know, you're the one with the illness, you've got the pain and certainly she's got a ton of pain. She is like literally the strongest person I've ever met. And the way that she just endures pain is crazy. But, you know, she's, she's the one obviously walking through this, but me as the spouse, um, you know, I'm walking through this too, in a, in a unique way. I'm, I'm watching her wither away. I'm watching her body fail. I'm carrying a lot of fear and, you know, she's, she's, she's so strong that it's almost like blind strength. If you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um, she's just so focused on like surviving that, like, I don't think fear really even registers into her mind. 
Wow. And if, it, and if it does, she definitely doesn't talk about it. So, um, I'm the one like carrying that stuff. And that's not a statement of like, woe is me, but, um, you know, it, it, it's a very interesting dynamic to be a caretaker of, of uh, a spouse who, whose body is failing. And, and, you know, I can, I could probably be a better caretaker, but literally there's nothing I can do to stop this or to mm-hmm. reverse what's happening. I, I can, I can love her. I can do things to make her more comfortable, but I, there's nothing that I can do to tangibly stop what's happening in her body. And that is, wow, it's profoundly hard. Yeah. I can only imagine. So how do you deal with that sense of maybe powerlessness or kind of not being able to do anything for her? Yeah. So I think that's a really great question. And, you know, to answer that, I, I always point back to Romans five, where it talks about how suffering leads to endurance, Mm. which leads to character, which leads to hope. And that hope doesn't disappoint. Um, man, 11 years ago when she got sick, uh, hearing that verse, reading that verse, Eric, I'm, I'm not lying. I like that would physically make me so mad (laughs) because it was, it made no sense. Like how am I supposed to, in my suffering, walk down this pathway towards hope? Because like, uh, the, the suffering is too great. I mean, maybe some people suffering is, is, you know, that's a, that's an easier thing to, to migrate from, but not this, this is too hard. And I would just physically get so angry. And so, you know, like going back to the story of when I was a a kid and, you know, kind of dealing with my parents' divorce, uh, you know, my response to the grief when I was 10 years old was to just completely shut down. I, I had never learned how to deal with grief before. I had never seen grief handled, um, well or not well. I just was making it up as I went. And so, yeah, you know, my response as a 10 year old was to just like not talk. Like I would literally go to school and never talk on a given day, unless maybe my teacher would call on me. I I didn't want to be rude, but I, I was just so depressed and so shut down because my emotions felt too ugly and too out of control. And so, you know, for me, that's my go-to move. That's, that's what I learned. And so when Alicia got sick, I started to do that again. Wow. I started to, to shut down and, um, I, like, you know, if, if Romans five talks about that pathway towards hope, I was walking a different pathway towards hopelessness. Sure. One that probably looks like suffering was leading to bitterness, which was leading to isolation, which was leading to hopelessness. And, um, thank goodness, thank God that I had this, this community at, at, at our church that were like rallying around both Alicia and I, and they had known enough of my story. And they're like, we're not going to let you go down that path alone again. They just, uh, they held my arms up when I was weak and they're like, you're going to win this fight, you know, no matter what it takes. And, they just reminded me and showed me what it looked like to walk down that path towards hope. And I'm, I'm eternal grateful for those people. Yeah. Uh, they invested themselves really well into my life. Yeah. I love that you had a community, like you said, to hold your arms up. And that's of course you're referring to the picture of Moses during the battle, right? And he had to hold his arms up and when he, his arms were up, the Israelites would win. And when his arms went down, they would lose. And so it was Aaron. And I can't remember some other guy who came yeah, along. Aaron and her. Yeah, and held up his held up his arms, um, and you you had a community to do that. That's awesome. That that uh, what a picture of of how 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 that com- how your community can come around you and 
I mean, they're not just discipling you. They're, they were parenting you in some ways. Would you say that? Yeah. Like they were, they were taking your emotions and teaching you how to use them and how to, how to deal with them. That's exactly right. I, I think that's a great analogy. You know, I, you know, back to the mentoring point, I, you know, I needed, I needed older people that were wise and strong and, you know, not in their own strength, but in God's strength to just come around me and, and, and almost be parenting figures and, and just say, Hey, you, you have what it takes. You know, it's easy for us to believe the lies of like, we don't have what it takes. You know, the, the enemy would love for us to believe that kind of lie. But when we encourage each other, you know, um, where we, we, we act, uh, you know, as the arms and, and legs of, of Christ to encourage each other, powerful things do happen. And I, you know, I was stubborn, Eric. I, you know, instead of like, okay, I, I, I won't walk down bitterness and loneliness, but you know, I, I really struggle with the concept of, uh, not having any control in, um, helping Alicia, helping, you know, heal her or to turn the corner on any of this health stuff. And so I started to pour myself into work. I, I worked at a place that really rewarded hard work where, you know, if you'd work your 80, 90 hours a week, you'd sell, mm, you yeah. know, you'd make, you know, big profits, you know, you, you, you lived and died by the profit, profit and loss statement. If you did really well, you'd move ahead. And I started to pour myself into work during that season, um, which was maybe a little bit healthier than the bitterness, loneliness thing that I, I naturally wanted to do. But once again, like I, I had older, wiser guys that, that were challenging even that. Um, they, they would, you know, say, hey, it's, it's great to have a job and it's great to um, – to want to provide and to, you know, there's, there's unique victories that you can have at work, but you're, you're clearly redirecting, um, you know, the angst of what's happening yeah. in your married life and the disappointment and just trying to have those victories. And, and, you know, there's, there's a, a few men that I'm thinking of that when they said that to me, it, it like, it snapped in my head of like, you're exactly right. And I found myself, shortly thereafter saying like, what am I doing? I'm mortgaging my relationship with my wife and mortgaging really my relationship with Christ for the sake of a victory. And my job suddenly was very dissatisfactory to me. And uh, God used that. I, Hmm. I left that job and uh, didn't really have much of a plan. Um, I had interviewed for exactly one job and it was to be a, a, a store manager at Starbucks. And it wasn't my dream job, nothing against Starbucks. I love it. I, you know, let's, <laughs> let's get triples and quads all day. You know, I, <laughs> who doesn't love Starbucks, but okay, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. But I, it was, it was like the one job that I could get quickly. And I, I took that job and God used that moment, uh, profoundly in my life. Uh, he put me at a store that was just like two miles away from our church. And, um, Alicia at that time had gotten to a point where the illness had gotten too great and she wasn't able to do the job. And, uh, so she had to step away. So she had finally, um, gone on to short-term disability. And, um, because I was so close to, you know, our church, my pastor was like, Hey, can you just fill in for the short run? Mm -hmm. Can you, can you help me just, you know, do things for the next few months while I find a permanent solution? And, um, man, thank God that that happened because what, what was supposed to be a few months turned into a year and a half. And I got mentored really well by my pastor, Kevin. And, um, you know, God really revealed to me during that time that 
full-time ministry is, you know, my calling. And I, I resisted that. We can talk more about that. I'm sure you'll ask lots of questions about that, but, um, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to, to run away. I wanted to fight. I wanted to live either in the bitterness isolation. I wanted to live in um, just controlling work. But, um, you know, it, it was a matter of, um, you know, learning how to endure and to seek God during that pathway. Yeah. So what was it holding you back from wanting to be in ministry? Just wanted to go um, your own way? Yeah, good question. I would say that, I didn't feel capable of, mm. of doing ministry well. Um, you know, like I said earlier, uh, you know, the, the Bible has always been a mystery to me and I, and I love it, but I didn't, I never felt like I could explain the Bible well to other people. Um, you know, I could use some personal examples and kind of tie it in, but, um, you know, how do you, how do you, um, you know, take the gospel, which is so good and so powerful and you like make it any more alive than it already is. I just, I, it felt like a concept that I just, I, I, I couldn't figure out if that was something I could do well. And, and if I couldn't do it well, I don't know. I was, I was just scared of it. I guess also the, like the money thing, like, <laughs> yeah, right. You, you don't go into ministry to become rich. Nope. So, um, you know, and it felt like, you know, that since Alicia wasn't going to be capable of working, well, I couldn't do that. I, I can't, yeah. I can't provide for, you know, my family in, in that fashion. Right. Um, there's so, probably lots of other reasons. Who knows? Yeah. In some ways that's fear, right? Will, will God take care of us if we're, if we're in that situation? Well, that's exactly right. I, you know, fear is a major component in my life. I'm, I'm betting it's probably a major component in your life. Oh yeah. Um, probably most listeners, uh, you know, like if, if fear isn't real in our lives, um, yeah, I think you're kidding yourself, you know, cause, um, the tactics of the enemy is to steal, kill and destroy. And a lot of that is done through fear. Um, and I, you know, I think he really like helped me believe those lies that I wasn't capable of doing solid ministry. And, um, you know, I, I had also seen a lot of pastors fail, um, you know, morally or otherwise. Yeah. And that scared me too. And so I just like, I didn't want to be that guy that, you know, like, Oh, I'm just going to go set the world on fire and then like set myself on fire in the process. Yeah. Which is probably a good reservation to have actually about, about that for sure. Um, yeah. okay. So you eventually moved out to Denver. Did, uh, I don't know where in this, where in your story this fits, but you had something pretty amazing happen. Uh, as far as having a child goes. Yeah. So Eric, I'm, I'm rather sheepish about telling this, but okay. uh, like well, I want to share it with your listeners. We but, don't have to, if you don't uh, want to. No, I, I, I love sharing this. Okay. The reason I am sheepish is cause I, I, I know that there's a lot of people out there that never have the opportunity to have a kid and that feels really hard and unfair. Um, and, you know, honestly, we were walking into that path ourselves. We wanted to be parents so badly. But because of Alicia's disease, because her uterus literally fell out of place yeah. before ever having a human being in it, it felt impossible, right? right. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, it's uh, all the questions, right? Okay, that doesn't yeah. seem like something that would be, that could happen. Yeah. And so we, we just started seeing all these specialists in the St. Louis area to ask the question, is it possible? Could we 
Could we somehow become parents? And every doctor said the same thing. Impossible for you to get pregnant, impossible for you to carry a pregnancy. And so, you know, we needed to hear that. And that was, that was hard, but you know, we were starting to like move towards a conclusion of like, okay, we, we just have to submit in this, you know, if, if that's not something that God has for us, okay, that will just, we'll, we'll be all right with that. We started to look into adoption and with Alicia's illness, um, most adoption agencies wouldn't even talk to us. They wouldn't consider us. I mean, mm -hmm. they'd be happy to take our money and to start the process, but all of them kind of said the same thing of, you know, probably this isn't something that, you know, will be successful. And so that was really hard for us. So we're like, we're starting to get to a, a point where it's like, okay, God, I, I guess this isn't what you want for us. We went back to see one particular doctor in St. Louis that, um, he, we knew he was a believer and we just needed to ask the questions about like surrogacy and, you know, like, um, the moral implications of that is, is that, are you playing God? Is that something we shouldn't even consider, you know, help wow. us have, help us navigate that. And so this doctor, Dr. DeRosa, and I, I love this man. He, um, he started to tell us why he was okay with surrogacy and, and, you know, state his case. And, uh, it was, you know, I, I was, I was scared about it, but I was like, okay, you know, like I'll, 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 I'll hear this through. And he just got to a point where he just stopped talking and he said, I am so sorry, guys. Like, I, I feel like I need to tell you that you're to die to this dream. I really hope that this is God talking through me, but, um, I, I just, I need you to know that I'm happy to do whatever you want. If you want to do any amount of testing, if you want to pursue surrogacy, I'm your man. But if I don't say these words to you, I feel like I'll be sinning. And Whoa. so that was a, <laughs> yeah. that was a powerful moment for us. And, uh, we, we left that appointment and this was a very busy hospital in St. Louis. We, we walked out and hit the elevator button, walked into the elevator and for literally five minutes, this elevator wasn't called. We just had like five minutes of being alone where we, we just cried. We broke down and we, um, kind of like both looked at each other and said, okay, we're going to die to this dream and we'll be the best aunts and uncles we can be. Um, that's really hard and that's disappointing, but we're going to trust God with that. So we I just, I, you know, to take you into that elevator, it was just a very real moment. Like yeah. I just, it was sobering. Right. And so that, you know, we went home and we just tried to celebrate the fact that like, we felt like we had heard from God. And, um, that very next day, Alicia ended up pregnant. Wow. Um, which was crazy. I did not believe her. I thought she was playing some kind of weird joke on me. I'm like, Alicia, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sensitive. I'm pretty raw to this. And so sure enough, we went back to see Dr. DeRosa. He's like, okay, well maybe who knows? Let's do a blood test after however long it takes to do a blood test. He came back into the office and was literally parading around the office, just celebrating. Um, wow. you know, he's like, we did the impossible. This is amazing. He like, he exclaimed that he was the best doctor in the world, <laughs> uh, which I didn't disagree with. Um, awesome. And so like after we, we like celebrated and like literally like just paraded around his office, you know, we sat down and he said, okay guys, like this was one of two things that was impossible. 
let's not get carried away um, because the the next one's probably even more impossible. Um, you know, if we can get you to 22 or 24 weeks of carrying this pregnancy, we'll probably pull this kid out. And we'll probably like, you know, he'll have a better chance being, you know, living in one of those plastic boxes for several months than he will in, in you know, inside of you. And, and that, that seemed to make sense. And so he set forth a plan to, to like see us literally like every three days. And um, so we were always in the hospital and uh, it, it was a crazy time. Eric, oh, check this wow. out. Alicia's health during the pregnancy got infinitely better. Wow. So when she like she couldn't eat for so many years and suddenly she was able to eat. It was like I was watching a miracle and this miracle was like I kept feeling like, OK, at some point the shoe's going to drop like the we're going to lose the baby. Um, I'm going to lose her. I was convinced that she was going to die in this process. Um, but every three days we go and get a checkup and the doctor would give us encouragement. You, you, you guys are doing great. And we, we were closely managing the situation. Sure. We got to that line of viability and, um, he's like, well, let's go just three more days and then three more days and then three more days. And, and finally almost 32 weeks into pregnancy, it was time. <laughs> like wow. she had carried yeah. like so far and and then like, you know, this kid started to, um, you know, shut down her kidneys and just things that were, things were going so well, suddenly they weren't. And so we were able to get in and have a C-section right away. And, um, my, the, you know, the, the best thing in my life, uh, mm. my, my little boy, Anderson Warner Barnard was born in September of 2010. And, um, he was such a gift. I mean, he is such a gift. Um, but I, I will never forget the, the journey that we went through to, um, uh, to, to get pregnant and how hard that was and how God provided through, uh, those few months to provide this little boy. Yeah. Do you just tell him all the time that he is evidence of God's goodness to you? Oh, absolutely. And then he rolls his eyes and he's like, <laughs> whatever, dad. <laughs> Someday that will mean a lot to him, I'm sure. But that's yeah, what, a, so. what an yeah. amazing story, brother. That is just like... You know, yeah, when you think something is impossible and, you know, you, you worry about all the other implications and, uh, and God does it anyway. And that's just amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And honestly, uh, this little boy, Anderson is really, I think the reason I had the courage to pursue moving out to Denver and, and having, having the courage to do seminary. So that day that Anderson was born, Oh, geez. We had 75 people in our waiting room, like mm -hmm. just sitting there praying, like ready to throw a parade, you know, alongside of us. They were just, they were there to support us. Like we had such a beautiful community. And, um, you know, when, when, uh, when Anderson was born and I was able to go out to the lobby and I was overwhelmed by the amount of people that were there, wow. I, it, it brought, it brought me to tears immediately. Like I, I just, I couldn't even cope with the amount of love that we were feeling. And, uh, you know, sh within a few days, like just getting the opportunity to hold Anderson, um, in my arms, we spent 26 days in the NICU, but, um, which was profoundly hard. That, that's a unique yeah, challenge that, it is. that a parent could go through. But, you know, as he got a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, I was able to spend time just one-on-one -on -one with him, just mm -hmm. holding him in my arms. And it was just amazing. And, so I'm, I'm in this hospital NICU holding him and, and, 
I'm praying to God. I'm, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for giving us this community, giving us this child, giving us so much when we don't deserve it. You know, I, I, I want to know like how I could ever repay you for all this blessing. And that's when he was reminding me about like, well, I called you to do full-time ministry. And I'm like, yeah, but you know that I need this community and you know, (laughs) you know how hard that's going to be to move away to do this. And of course there's a seminary in St. Louis. It's, it's a good seminary. It just wasn't going to be a good fit for me. So it, it was like, Lord, I, I, I think you're asking me to move and I can't do that. Like I, I, I'm so thankful that you think me to be good enough to, to do ministry, but I, I can't sacrifice that much. And so I felt like at that moment in that NICU room, he asked me, okay, Jim, how would you feel 20, 25, 30 years from now if I were to ask Anderson to do the same thing? And he told me, no, doesn't matter what the reason is. How would you feel if he told me no? And just looking down at this little boy, I was like, oh man, I would feel super disappointed. And then God was silent. He just Mm. let me sit in that disappointment. And so for the next few weeks, I was just getting my head around the fact that I was disappointing my heavenly father by telling him, no, like that it's, it's not a good idea, God. Like I've got better plans than you've got. Yeah. And so shortly thereafter, I, I submitted and I said, okay, Lord, like I'm scared of this. Um, I've always wanted to live in Denver. Like that sounds exciting, but, um, I, I, we, we need community. So I need you to provide. And so, um, we quickly just decided we're just going to do it. We walked away from this great community and moved out here. And, um, you know, the, the, the terrain is beautiful. The mountains are unbelievable. The weather's so crazy nice, but for the first, <laughs> the for, first for a Midwesterner, of, the weather here cannot be beat, but yeah, right. <laughs> if you're, if you're listening to this and you're in California, it's terrible. Yeah, don't come. yeah, that's right. Yeah, stay home. There's there's plenty of Californians <laughs> out here. We're, we're good. Um, so you know, we got out to Denver, and it was like it was two years of the most lonely season that I've ever experienced. Wow. Um, I was managing a Starbucks full time, trying to crank out school as fast as I could. I was you know trying to be as engaged of a husband and a father as I could be, and it was. Oh, it was profoundly hard. I, I wanted to quit every three weeks. Like I would have a complete meltdown, like <laughs> at a, least every two to three weeks. That's actually normal for seminary, man. That's just oh, like, <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> well, I wish other people would tell me that. No, I don't think anybody mentioned time. it to me either. Yeah, but I get it. <laughs> yeah. So but you guys I, were lonely. Like, you didn't have the community around you anymore. So that, well, that must've right. felt like being exposed. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, we tried our best to, to find community and um, just different churches and just couldn't really connect. And, you know, you know, I, I got to a season where I was like, Alicia, we really have to move back to St. Louis. I made a terrible mistake. This is so hard. This is so lonely. Let's just let's give up. And um, she was really great to encourage me in that in that fight and just remind me what God had called us to. And so we, we stuck it out and I'm so glad because, um, we finally did land at a church and started to build community and, um, you know, God has provided in a unique way out here. Um, I, you know, 
Anderson and I ski all the time. And so that's great. But really we've been able to replicate the community at my first church. It was, it was starting to build. And now this church that I'm at now at LifeGate, just a unique, um, great community. And I'm so thankful. Like, why am I surprised Eric? Every time God yeah. provides, you know, I, I had to endure. This is an example of enduring. Like I just had to get through that season and probably my bad attitude about it was like not <laughs> helping. Right. right? That, that wasn't me building character, but, um, you know, like I did endure the season and now like, you know, I graduated three years ago and we've, we've stuck it out and God's like really spoken to us about our calling out here. And I should have just had that faith the whole time, but you know, that's always easier in retrospect. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, it's always easier to look back and see the things that, that God was teaching you, um, you know, that way. So tell me about, um, as you're doing some blogging now, you're doing some writing about this story. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about that while you're doing that. Just a little bit more about Alicia's stuff. You know, over the last several years, you know, getting sick um, so soon after our marriage and just watching that just quickly erode. Uh, man, there have been so many like hard points in our marriage, in her health. She's had so many surgeries. She essentially died on me twice. Like I wow. literally caught her before she hit the the ground. And, um, you know, she's just like, I'm like, hello, wake up. Like, where are you? And, uh, just moments of like pure terror. Like I, I wish I could even explain how scary that was. Um, you know, just the, the road has been really long and, and hard. And, um, she's, if I were to like chart out her health, um, and her weight over the years, it'd be a pretty significant, just like straight line down. There's been small seasons of, of plateaus. Um, certainly when she was pregnant with, with Anderson, like it was probably even a little bit of an uptick there. Um, but those plateaus have just gotten like shorter and shorter. Like they've, they've, um, they've just, you know, seemed to erode and just be a, almost a straight, straight line down of health. And, you know, by pure happenstance, Alicia met this doctor who was shadowing her neurologist who got really engaged in, in her story and like what, you know, what was happening with her health and, that doctor was, was like, you know, Hey, can I meet with you? Like, I would, I would love to spend some time to understand a little bit more because I've got a therapy that I think would really help you. Um, and Alicia's like, well, of course I'm not, I'm not in the business of turning down help, you know? Right. So, so Alicia started meeting with this new doctor and she started to tell her about this therapy called IVIG. And what this, what this thing is, is um, every time you, I guess, give blood work, um, they will strip out um, some of your antibodies and feed it into this thing called IVIG. And so it's a collection of a thousand people's antibodies that Alicia started to get every week that would um, that would give her um, a few different things. It would it would give her some like um, help neurologically. So she would she would um, drop things all the time. She would fall constantly. I keep, a lo I keep joking with Alicia that she should wear a t-shirt that says fall risk on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because like, you know, along with like all this health stuff, like she just would like get to a point where like her limbs would just fail yeah. because there's this weird neurological component. And 
this IVIG thing started to address some of that and it started to, it didn't heal her guts, but it like, it would help her motility a little bit. And, um, she would, uh, she would have less of these like cramps in her arms and her legs. And it was just, it started to do something really unique at like right away. The downfall of IVIG is, is that, um, it makes you feel like you've got meningitis every week because your body fights off this foreign substance. It's like, Oh no, there's, you know, there's something foreign. We've got to kill this thing off. And so for, weeks and months, um, really years, like her body has been on a, like an extreme voyage of trying to get adjusted to this IVIG. And as she's gotten adjusted, she's landed into this really nice season of a plateau that we've just never experienced. And, uh, so we were really excited about what IVIG could provide for her. Probably not something that would heal her. And, you know, we've, Trust me, we've, we've spent a lot of time praying for healing and, um, you know, you know, that, that, that could be something that you could like live in disappointment with that she's not healed, Sure. but we're, we're celebrating this season of, you know, it's not getting worse and this IVIG is helping it not get any worse. She's been able to maintain weight for the most part. She, her immune system is a lot stronger. And so everything's going great and we're talking about, you know, like doubling and tripling her dose to just see what it can get to her. Unfortunately, in January, her insurance company said uh, they determined that this treatment is no longer medically necessary. Mm. And so um, I think the translation there is this is really expensive, so we're not going to pay for it anymore. Right. Right. If it was like Tylenol, I think they'd be fine with it. You know, have as much as you want. But, um, so, so we got to the season where it was like, okay, we have this therapy that is providing, um, maintenance for her. And now it's, it's gone unless we can pay for it. And so, um, this treatment is really expensive. The, the dose that she was on, um, would cost us literally $200,000 a year. And this is exactly the reason, Eric, I didn't want to get into ministry. I don't make, (laughs) I don't make that much money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I had a lot of really good friends. Um, my, my other pastor that I work with in group, he, you know, a lot of people were like, Hey, let's, let's do some crowdfunding. Let's do grow, go fund me. Let's, let's, let's try to figure out how to raise the money that we need to provide this treatment for her, which I certainly appreciate. Like I, the heart behind that is great. And we've done GoFundMe in the past. Um, to help us get started in IVIG because the approval process was taking a really long time and we felt like the promise was worth it. But as the dose increased, as she got more and more used to it, like that price tag is unreal. So, so every time, every time someone would ask me like, Oh, can we donate? Can we, can we, um, help out in any way we want to give money? I would just joke that, um, and this is a dumb thing to say, but this is (laughs) like my honest response. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's great, but maybe I could just become an internationally well-known best-selling author within the next few weeks. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was just saying that as a, as a quippy thing, and um, I said that to enough people enough times, and I was like, okay, is there something behind that? Is that is that me? Is that God? Is that, like, what what's in that? And um, the more I started to wrestle with that, the more I started to pray about that and share that with Alicia— you know, what really connected with us was that we, we've been wanting to share our story for a long time. 
we are fully committed to the fact that suffering is real, not just for us, but for everyone. And it doesn't matter what the suffering is. Um, it can really destroy our relationship with the Lord. Oh yeah. And you know, certainly it can help your relationship with, with, with him if you, if you let it, but it's been, it's been this, this journey that we've been on about like letting God ref, like refine us through the suffering that we, we've just wanted to, to share our story, like, you know, and, and help people in any way that we can. And, um, and so Alicia and I just were like, okay, let's, let's do this. And so I've decided to just start writing this book one chapter at a time and I'm sharing it online. Um, and I'm trying to build a platform for this book as I write it. Cause, um, I, I don't have much of a platform. I've got, maybe you'd buy a book, maybe uh, my mom would buy a book, but you know, yep. like a few people at church would, but, um, you know, I, I don't know how to build a platform. I, I literally don't know what I'm doing. Like, how do you do any of that? Yep. You know? Um, and so, you know, the combination of like, maybe I could build this platform and, uh, maybe the story would, would go really wide, really quick. Maybe Ellen would have us on her show. Yeah. Um, maybe a publisher would get a hold of it and be like, we'd love to buy your story. And, you know, I, I have no idea how much that would tangibly be worth, but I, I just felt like because we want to share our story and I think God's called us to do it. It was like, okay, let's do that. Whatever that is, let's do that. So I am fumbling my way through writing a book and posting it online and hoping that the story matters for people. Yeah, well, I love that. You've already done the most important part of building a platform, which is starting. You just have to get going and put it, put a little bit out there, even though it's scary. And uh, it's very difficult to be uh, that vulnerable. You're obviously good at it. You share so much of your story here today, and I appreciate that. Um, guys, you can get that. If you want to go check it out, um, you can find uh, Jim's writing about the story at IWriteToSaveMyWife.com. That's right. And you can get it there. There's links to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, so you can follow along there as well. And uh, the other thing Jim and I are going to work on is starting a mailing list because I don't see one on here, so we'll work on that. But, That's uh, a good call. See, yeah. I don't know what I'm See? doing, Eric. That's all right, man. You know what? <laughs> My mailing list currently has like 17 people on it. So I've been doing this for two years. So it's not, uh, it's just you take one step, you take the next right step. So anyway, but I'll, we'll work on that. And um, <laughs> and so if you wanted to, you want to check out the show notes on this page, you can go to halfwaytherepodcast.com and sign up for my mailing list as well to learn yeah. about uh to get new new episodes in your inbox every week. Um Jim, let me just ask you. So you're you're writing this and I'm I'm glad that you're doing that. Um how besides going to I write to save my how else could people connect with you if they really wanted to? Yeah, I mean we we've tried to build the social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, um Twitter. Um, you know, honestly, I, I'm, I'm not so savvy in this. I, I don't know how to connect with people. Um, but people are finding me, um, mm -hmm. you know, on the Facebook page, there's a, a way to, to send me an email to my, my church email account. And I've had people from surprising corners, like reach out to me and share their own stories of, of suffering and mm -hmm. what's happening with them. And I've been able to pray with them and for them. And that's been amazing. I've connected with, um, a, a, a long lost friend from high school who's been sharing our story 
on Facebook and she keeps claiming like, I'm a well-known agnostic, but this story is way too powerful and the God stuff doesn't bother me. Like you Mm. have to read this. And, uh, you know, so those connection points have given me life. Um, and so, uh, I I guess those are the ways that, that people can connect with me and man, if, if there's a way I can be praying for other people like that, that gives me an absurd amount of strength and, um, enjoy to, to like enter into other people's stories, you know, like that, that's, that, that's the, the lifting up of arms, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm not going to let yep. you fail on this. Dude, community is so powerful in your story. And I just absolutely love it. Um, you are clearly a community builder. God's called you to do that. And you're doing it with a story. Um, we'll see what God does, but I can't wait. I think it'll be good. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, the thing about story, if I can just share this real quick, and this has kind of been the spiritual journey that I've been on, um, you know, spending time in seminary and learning about like theology and apologetics and like all those like really great things about, you know, like gaining knowledge about the Bible. Yep. It really doesn't do me a lot of good when it comes to interacting with people that don't believe um, you know, like I, I can tell them all the things that I know to be true about the Bible and, and whatnot, but if they don't believe the Bible to be true, where am I getting? I'm just yelling at them at that point. <laughs> and um, what I've learned in in the last few years is is this our story is our greatest evangelical tool. When we can share that honestly and openly with people, you know, share how we intersected with Christ and how He's transformed us. You know, that's the thing that yes. opens the door for other people. Amen and amen. Absolutely. That's exactly why we have Halfway There. That's exactly why we share those stories. I'm hopeful that uh, somebody not only listens to any particular episode, but I hope they hear this one and are encouraged to stick with whatever God's called them to do in their challenges or to share the story with someone or to... Uh, give their lives to Christ if they haven't for the first time. So, Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, I just think that um, when we have those bold moments and get outside of ourselves to to share, you know, what it is that's that's happened inside of us, like it, I think it mm-hmm. does matter for people. And um, I, I don't want my story to make me famous. I don't want my story to, um, you know, do anything that props me up. I, I, I want it to build the kingdom. That's yeah. really important for me. Yeah, and that's exactly what he does. Jim, thank you so much for sharing with us. I sure appreciate you being with us here on Halfway There. Absolutely, Eric. I really appreciate it. 